Welcome to the Up Level Dairy Podcast. This is the podcast for dairy owners, managers, and their trusted advisors who are looking to take themselves and their businesses to their next level of performance, resilience, and success in the dairy farming business. I'm your host, Peggy Coffeen, and it's my mission to bring you the stories and thought leaders to help take you to your next up level. We welcome our monthly guest today, Jay Joy with Bridgeforth LLP to the Up Level Dairy Podcast. Welcome, Jay. Hey, good morning, Peggy. And Jay, for our listeners that haven't tuned in to you before, just give us that quick snapshot of who you are and what you do with Bridgeforth LLP. Uh, well, I guess that's a good question. Sometimes that's a hard one to answer because I do can do different things for different clients depending upon their needs or their unique needs. But really, I think I what I do is I do really two things two different things. Number one would be kind of the traditional CFO services. So if a client is having issues or, or knows they need help in the areas of accounting, finance, uh, getting access to capital, that sort of thing. So that's kind of one side of what I do. The other side of what I do would be more your traditional family business advisor type role. So working with families that are either going through a little bit of dysfunction or some drama, some conflict, or quite frankly, they just they need someone to come in to facilitate a conversation about who they are and where they want to go and what they want their business to look like and how to get from where they are to where they want to be. So really, those two things. Yeah, so helping out families that, I don't know, any families that have discord or drama, do you? Um, I think every family does, just in their own unique way. <laughs> Right. And and that's what you offer through Bridgeport LLP is helping families move forward in their businesses and also stay family. And as you mentioned, working as a fractional CFO and helping uh, farm families uh, maintain their access to capital. And what you just mentioned there, Jay, is what we're going to be talking about today, because um, I have been paying some attention to the headlines, and I'm sure you have too, and so have our dairy producers that are listening to this podcast right now. And the headlines in dairy herd management that I've been reading lately are all about preparing for the end of 2023 and what that could look like. And so that's why we're going to be talking today about access to capital and the action plan that you can help our listeners to move forward with for when farm incomes fall this fall. And so with that, let's get right into it. Based on the movements and forecasts in the marketplace, Jay, what do you think dairy farmers' cash reserves are going to look like as we get into quarter three and quarter four of 2023? Well, I think it goes without saying they're going to be less at the end of 23 than they were at the end of 22, just because 22 was such a good year, right? And 23, if you look at spot prices today where we're at, you know, you've got you know, class three and class four are going to be in that. There's high 17s, mostly 18s, and four, there's some 19s on the back end of the curve. So not nearly as good a milk price this year. Uh, corn's in that $6 range for new crop. Uh, we've got $300 dairy hay. We've got 450 soybean meal. So it's going to, I mean, it could turn into a pretty tough situation in 2023 if those prices stay where they're currently at. So I guess that I'll caveat that by saying, you know, there still is a lot of time and there's a lot of runway left in 2023. And as we all know in the dairy business, milk prices can change fast, you know, both up and down. Um, same with feed prices, you know, they can be fairly volatile. So 
you know, so yeah, if, if we're buying the majority of our feed and we're selling 18 to $19 milk, it's going to be a pretty rough year. Uh, but you know, I do think that the, there will be a little bit of variation in what, um, in the financial performance of dairies, um, depending upon geography would be one. And then the other would be the extent to which a dairy is what I call naturally hedged, uh, meaning that they grow a, a good chunk of their forage needs, either through land ownership or rented land and crop production. So, so anyway, yeah, I think it's not going to be as good as 2022. Uh, and the jury's still out. We'll see how, how it all plays out in 2023. Yeah. So a year where we could be looking at some volatility, as you mentioned, Jay, and something that many dairy farmers are used to dealing with. But uh, if you go back to one of our previous podcast episodes, Jay, where you talk about in inflation and rising input costs and how to just stay on top of those things. I think that's a great resource for our listeners as well. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that uh, you talked about um, just now, too, is that there's just different positions that every dairy is in. And so my question for you, Jay, is what are the most financially savvy dairies doing right now so that they can continue to have their hands on access to capital so that they can continue to be in a position to not just make money, but to be able to continue to grow and develop and evolve their businesses in 2023 and beyond? Well, I think the the short answer is, you know, they're, they're renegotiating credit packages right now. You know, they're not going to wait until, you know, until they experience stress, right? They're preparing for it right now. So they're having those hard conversations with their lenders, you know, before financial performance really gets tough. So I'd say that that kind of in and of itself is the, the biggest thing that the best areas that I work with are doing. They're, they're proactively having those conversations with their lenders instead of reactively having those conversations, you know, after the storm has already hit, so to speak. So but functionally, so that's one thing. So functionally, there's a couple of other things that uh, the best dairies that I work with are doing. Um, if they haven't already done so, they're putting in some protection to manage the downside risk on milk. You know, we saw, if you go back eight months ago, six months ago even, you know, you could have you uh, put protection on most of 2023's milk, you know, either at 20 or a little bit above $20. And so now that we've seen a couple bucks come off, you know, the best producers are sitting there saying, well, yeah, it sucks that I didn't put positions on six months ago, but I can put them on today and manage the downside risk of milk going from 18 to 16 or 15. So I'd say that's one thing that uh, the financially savvy producer is doing if they haven't already done it um, so already. Uh, The second thing would be is they're, they're staying short on feed meaning at these high prices, unless there's availability issues um, on, in, on certain ingredients, um, that would be the caveat. But if there are not any sort of availability concerns, they're really staying hand to mouth or staying short on feed. They're not going to forward contract, you know, a clock position on $6 corn. They're not going to forward contract a clock position on 450 meal. You know, they're just not going to do it. They're going to pretty well stay hand to mouth on, on, uh, on their feed needs. And then last would be is when it comes to interest rates, you know, so just as on the feed side of things, it's not really a good time to lock in a forward position on feed, just given the elevated pricing levels. 
Um, same thing with interest rates. If they don't already have fixed rate debt in place, they're not going to do it right now. So they're staying short on interest rates. Um, basically handicapping that at some point over the next couple of years, interest rates will come back down to a more historical level that we've seen over the last five to 10 years. And there will be an ability at that point to lock in some of their borrowing costs. So, And Jay, so with what you just mentioned here, can you break that into a few action steps that our listeners can really just take home and take some action on today? Um, I guess the easiest one is to schedule an appointment with your lender to have them out to talk about what your game plan is for 2023 and how their financing package is structured to meet your needs in 2023 and maybe for the next couple of years. So that would be the first action step. I'd say the second action step is if, if you haven't already done so, you know, if you don't, if you're not hooked up with a, uh, with a commodities broker that has access to DRP or if you don't get DRP through your local crop insurance agent, you know, make sure you form that relationship. And if you already have that relationship, again, you know, schedule a time for that person or that team of people to come out to your dairy and sit down with you and talk through your strategy on how you're going to manage downside risk on milk for 2023. Gotcha. Any other action steps that you would encourage our dairy producers to look at and to make some movement on? So when you're having your conversation with your lender, there's a couple of things I would advise you to do. Number one is if they want, if the, the lender wants to try to cut back the amount of loan commitment on your line of credit, like don't go along with that. <laughs> it's always, it's always better to have more than enough than not enough. Um, so yeah. Make sure that you ask for more than enough line of credit at renewal, you know, after you had a very positive 2022, assuming that you probably paid down a lot of uh, short-term debt with the earnings generated in 22, don't cut your commitment amount. Now's not the time to do that. And then second thing on the long-term debt side of the equation, uh, now might be a really good time to try to renegotiate and lengthen out the amortization on your term debt facilities. Um, and if, if it's possible, maybe even increase the amount of your long-term debt facilities and use that excess to pay down and strengthen your working capital position. Because really what that's going to do is it's going to create do two things. Number one, by lengthening out the amortization, it's going to improve your, your cash flow. So less of the cash that you generate is going to go down, is going to uh, go to servicing long-term debt. And then secondly, re-injecting working capital will just further improve that working capital position, which gives you a bigger buffer or a shock absorber to, to weather, you know, the storm that could be in 2023. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Jay. And, and you know, what, what you are mentioning here when we talk about, you know, the subject of working capital takes me back to episode three, where you had given some tips on recession proofing a dairy farming operation. And one of your key takeaways was this, don't blow all your working capital, right? And so let's revisit that statement. What type of purchases or investments do you put in that category? Well, it's basically uh, anything that, you, that, that that takes cash or working capital out of the business would be, one example would, of that would be is if you're using your short-term line of credit or your cash reserves, 
to purchase a long-term asset. So you're using your line of credit to buy land, make facility upgrades, buy equipment, you know, invest in a non-farm business, make a big distribution to owners, you know, that sort of thing. That's going to erode your working capital position. Um, or kind of the, the corollary to that would be as if you're using working capital to provide the down payment for land, facilities, equipment, so on and so forth, that will also impact your working capital position. So that's really what I mean when don't blow all your working capital. It's really, let's match the asset that we're financing with the, with the, the, the debt that we're using to finance it. So if you're buying land, let's finance it long-term. If you're buying equipment, let's finance it over five to seven years. You know, don't blow your line of credit commitment buying long-term assets. Yeah, thank you for revisiting that and explaining that in more detail. And uh, and kind of, you know, going off of that. So, so Jay, you have said on this podcast before that you are a recovering egg lender. So you cut your teeth uh, being a lender yourself, being out on farms and being in that banker seat, right? So did you have banker hours back then too? You know, like, you know, where you golf and do that on Fridays. Was that what that was like? Hey, it's called relationship management. <laughs> you know, all that being said, you know, and you know, I'm sure you know this, Kevin or Peggy, because your husband, he's a banker as well, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> he has to do a little bit of relationship management from time to time, I'm guessing. <laughs> it's a, But it's amazing how much information you can learn, you know, in a casual setting, whether it's, you know, on a golf course or at a Packer tailgate or you know, just hanging out, you know, having fun, going hunting, right? So uh, <laughs> to answer your question, yes, I I did not work as many hours probably when I was a banker as I do now. It was just a different type of work, so... <laughs> And, and so now in your in your uh, your reinvented career, as you've reinvented yourself from uh, your former egg lending days, Jay, um, you know, though, you know, from being in that seat, what bankers are really looking for in that relationship with their customer, with the farmer, so that they can keep those lines of credit open and keep that available. And so you know, what What would you say that bankers are looking for uh, from their customers in order to be able to keep um, keep having the relationships open and keep the lines of credit open and available? I think there's three things. Number one would be communication. You know, don't ever go dark on your lender. Even if the story isn't a rosy story, I mean, even if, if the news is quote unquote bad news, just Make sure that you have um, open, honest, consistent, transparent dialogue with your lender, both good and bad. So, And you mean like before you make a large capital purchase, not I mean, after, right? Yeah, exactly. So that'll, that'll, what you just mentioned will tie into my number three. So, so the second thing would be is information, you know, in terms of like financial information and, and, you know, strategic plans you know, that sort of thing. Make sure that you're providing the lender with information that's timely. So don't send them your year-end 2022 financial statements in September of next year, right? Let's make sure that we get them in, you know, sometime within the first quarter of 2023. So make sure information is timely, that it's accurate, that it's put together consistently. So we're seeing the same type of information over and over and over. 
and that it's very thorough. You know, the last thing on the list, number three, and so there's communication and information, and those two things work together to, to address the third thing, which is no surprises. Bankers need surprises. So this is where, like, when uh, in your egg lending days, when you go out and see, oh, look, a new combine I didn't know about. Is that what you're talking about? Um, or you go out and say, when did you do that freestyle expansion? We didn't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Just popped up overnight. Exactly. Yeah, no surprises. So, and part of that is, you know, I have a saying with my clients, Peggy, that, and I'm sure you've heard me say it before, is if it's not on paper, it doesn't exist. So create a plan, execute on that plan, and if there's any deviations from that plan, make sure that you are proactively communicating the reasons and the explanation for why there's a deviation from plan. And it doesn't have to be this big, long, elaborate, you know, 10-page business plan for 2023 just a few key things that you're going to try to, that you're going to, that you are going to execute on in 23, just lay it out. And I think, um, your banker will, they'll, they'll very much appreciate that you take the time to do that. So. Yeah. And so, so Jay, when you talk about the communication, the providing the accurate and timely and thorough information, and also the no surprises rule or suggestion that, uh, that you would guide people towards, uh, what's a, you know, what, what's an easy way to put this into action? I mean, like, is it quarterly meetings or some way that you can put these things on the, like a regular meeting on the calendar with other, you know, other advisors? Uh, what's the best way to, uh, take this and, and really make it part of the way that you manage your business? So first and foremost, I think that well, I'll, I'll address, because I think it addresses your question, but in terms of the information component, you know, just because you don't talk to your banker doesn't mean you're not communicating with them, right? So the communication could be you put together monthly financial statements and you send them to your lender every month, right? That is a form of communication, even though it's information that we put together that we're sending to our lenders so we don't have to physically talk to the lender to be communicating with them okay i think that would be to me that's like that's kind of like the first step is get into a get into a uh, routine where you're putting together financial information periodically and you're sending it to your lender to keep them up to speed with what's going on in your operation you know, something that's always floating around, and this goes back to my many years as a magazine editor in the dairy industry, you know, there's so many numbers and acronyms for um, for what dairy farmers, you know, we say, oh, you need to know this number, you need to know that number so that you really have a true beat on your profitability and the numbers that your banker cares about. Uh and there's so many out there, right? Cost of production, income over feed costs, milk per cow, debt per cow, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, but I'm going to come to you right now, Jay. And on behalf of all of those listening out here, ask you, what are the top, you know, five numbers that the banker truly cares about the most and that every farmer should have a tight pulse on and keep at the top of their minds? I think there's a couple of balance sheet measures that kind of get to the heart of of that question fairly quickly. And then there's a couple of income statement measures that do the same thing. So from a balance sheet perspective, 
Um, I'm the, the first thing I'm going to want to know is what's my percent net worth? You know, how much of the business, you know, is the banker providing versus is the family or the ownership group providing? Very basic number, percent net worth. The second thing I'm going to want to know is what's my, and I use the term adjusted working capital, uh, because in dairy, it's the way that I work, the, the way that I calculate working capital is a little bit different than your traditional definition, you know, your gap definition of working capital. So adjusted working capital per mature cow. So what that means is take all your current assets and your current liabilities, move your cattle, your quote unquote herd related assets up into current, move your herd related liabilities up into current. And so just take your adjusted current assets minus your adjusted current liabilities. That gives you your adjusted working capital and then divide that by the total amount of mature cows in your operation. A, a very similar measure would be is if you're, you know, if you're financing uh, with a lender that's that's uh, providing a line of credit that's governed by what they call a borrowing base. Um, another very similar uh, uh, calculation would be your borrowing base excess per cow. So those are two balance sheet measures that I would want to know, like pretty quickly. Um, the the next three are more cash flow or income statement related items. Um, so number three on my list would be just what's your net income per hundred weight and your net income per mature cow. So it's actually two in one, <laughs> but net income, uh, and then look at that on a per hundred weight and per mature cow basis. The fourth one would be, and you mentioned it earlier, your total cost of production on a hundred weight on a per hundred weight basis, accrual as well. So any of these numbers that I'm that I'm mentioning now, when it comes to uh, income statement, my assumption is that these are accrual based numbers. They're not cash or, or tax basis numbers. And then the last one would be, what is my cash available after debt service? And so that one's a pretty simple calculation. It's how much revenue did I generate minus how many dollars worth of expenses did I have? And then what's my principal debt service requirements? And it's whatever the, whatever the remaining is after all that calculation, that's cash available after debt service. So it's, it's important to know those five numbers, but I would also say that in addition to knowing those five numbers, a really key thing is, is being able to know the trends associated with each one of that, with, with each one of those. So looking at those five measurements over time, whether that's comparing year over year, so where were we at end of year 2019, 2020, 21, 22, so, so on and so forth. Looking at, at it on, an, on a, either a monthly or a quarterly basis could be a possibility as well. But I would want to know the actual measures and then the trends associated with those measurements. Excellent. Well, thank you for laying out those five really core numbers to keep a pulse on the ones that bankers really care about. Uh, so I got to toss a question out to you, Jay. Um, as you mentioned earlier, so my husband, Kevin, he's an ag lender, um, not a recovering one yet, still a very active one. Uh, but, you know, one of the terms that he that him 
and uh, I know some of his colleagues go back and forth on is, uh, you know, energy corrected milk. I'm glad you brought that up. So when I'm looking at net income per hundred weight and total cost of production per per hundred weight, the per hundred weights on an, are on an energy corrected basis. I love energy corrected milk. Like I don't know why you wouldn't look at um, energy corrected milk when it comes to evaluating your income and expenses on a per hundred weight basis. Because all energy corrected milk does is it tries to account for the variation in percent protein, percent fat. And to me, it kind of levels the playing field between herds that produce, you know, high volume and lower components with herds that, that produce lower volume and higher components. It levels that playing field. Excellent. Well, thank you for um, thank you for going into a little more detail of what that looks like and how that fits into those five key numbers that uh, every dairy farmer should know and should be able to bring to their banker easily. And uh, you know, going back to what you mentioned before about having information available, if you're having those regular meetings and open communication, these numbers should be something you're pretty you have your hands on and pretty easy to pull up and gain access to. Is that right? Should be. Yep. Excellent. All right, Jay, any other final thoughts on access to capital and your action plan for when farm income falls that our dairy producers can take home today? One of the things, I I mean, I kind of mentioned it, but maybe I didn't mention it as explicitly as I should. A lot of times access to capital is, is dependent upon your ability to provide information to the lender that makes their life easy for them to give you money. Right. Your job as a borrower is to make your banker's life as easy as you possibly can. And oftentimes the way to do that is provide them the information that's timely, accurate, consistent, and thorough. And don't like, don't surprise the banker. So if you literally do those two things, provide them the information that they want on the basis that they want it in and live by the no surprise rule. Your ability to access capital going forward is going to be much improved if you've had problems providing the information on a consistent, accurate basis in the past. And if you've created like headaches for your lender, lenders don't like having headaches. So, Jay, is that is that why you, you don't have any hair? Was it all the headaches yeah, from being I, an egg lender? I had a full head of hair when I started my banking career. <laughs> Oh, well, Jay, it's always a pleasure to have you on the Up Level Dairy Podcast and to share your knowledge of dairies and finance and family business. And, uh, and thank you for what you shared with us today and the value that our listeners are able to pull out of it. And uh, if you have listened to Jay's podcast before, you know that we always end the podcast with Jay's Book Club. And so this is where Jay makes his book recommendation for dairy producers and those in the industry to pick up and take a read to improve their business, improve themselves. Jay, what is your book of the month? I actually have it sitting right here. I'll show it to you. (laughs) Who, not how? Called Who, not how by a guy by the name of Dan Sullivan. All right. And so what is the theme of this book, Jay? Uh, I think the basic, like the core theme is that if you want to expand your capabilities and possibilities for yourself and for your team, The question to ask isn't, how am I going to do this? It's, who do I need to recruit on the team to help me accomplish this? I mean, that's that's the boiled down version. 
Yeah. 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 And a, a great uh, a great theme for many of us, whether we're on the production side or doing what we do, Jay, and that's on the support for the industry side. Uh, and so what are a couple of the key takeaways that really challenged your thinking when you read Who Not How? Well, I think it's, you know, for the last several years, I have been conditioned to be the who for other people, you know, when it comes to accounting and finance and banking and family business advising. And I didn't really fully kind of grasp grasp the fact that other people can be a who for me just as the same that I am for other people. Uh, so yeah, it yeah. took me a little while to kind of realize that. So that would, that would be a key takeaway for me. You know, another key takeaway would be um, collaborate, don't compete. Like there's a huge upside to be gained by collaborating with people, you know, creating a win-win. Um, so that, I mean, I kind of have always known that, but it just, I don't know, Dan has a way of laying out that principle and in, in a way that speaks a little bit more to me um, in that regard. And then the last one would be, and it's not really directly in the book, um, but this is kind of what I gleaned from it is, you know, 100, 100% independence. Like if you want to try to do everything yourself, not only is that not sustainable, you know, it's not actually possible if you want to achieve anything of any significance. Like you can't do it alone. It does take the right who's to help you accomplish the how's. Yeah. And and so as you're uh, laying out these key takeaways, Jay, um, there's got to be some people that come to mind that you know that could really benefit. And so thinking about this dairy producer audience, how do you think these themes relate to some of the producers you know and how they could benefit from implementing a little bit more of the who, not how into their systems? Then one tool that I use in it, in all kind of tie who not how together with one of my other book recommendations, which is traction, you know, the concept of an accountability chart, that's all about who not how, you know, it's getting the right who's in the right seats to help you move your business forward. So, you know, that would be one way. Um, so it's, so how do you find out who the right who's are? You know, it's, it's another traction concept, which is called GWC which is, does this person get it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity to do it? So that would be another tool. So between the accountability chart and GWC, you know, those are two tools that I use that, that kind of indirectly relate pretty much straight back to who, not how. And then the last would be um, what I call the people task model, which is at a lower level in an organization when you're, you know, just kind of an entry-level employee, your job essentially is to figure out how to do that job. It's, it's all about the task. It's about how do we get the work done. As you move up higher in an organization, it, it all becomes about people and finding the right who's to recruit onto the team to give direction to the people that are figuring out how to get it done. Uh -huh. well, it's that people task model. So... Those are three things that I'd use with clients that even though they're not contained in this book, they all kind of relate back to that. So, yeah, yeah. And so I'm curious, Jay, uh, how have you found uh, your own 
who's to support you. As you mentioned, when you started out doing what you're doing, you were the who for everybody else. So who are your who's? <laughs> you're one of them, Peggy. <laughs> I mean, so you're one of them for sure. So I've got my, I got, I've got my list of who's, you know, I've got, I've got, I'd say about seven or eight he who's that are around me that um, are so much more talented in, in certain areas than I am that allow me to kind of focus in on what my strength is. And, you know, otherwise I'd get bogged down trying to figure out how to record a podcast and how to create all these graphics and stuff. I just partner with an expert like you and let you do that, let you do that, you know? So that's, I don't know. That's just kind of how I've learned to uh, build what I need to do to build this business. So. Ah, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that example. And you're one of my who's as well, Jay, because uh, let's be honest, I'm not the person that needs to sit across the table and tell people how to uh, do any of their accounting or their financials. <laughs> I think I'll stick with the podcast gig. <laughs> So, all right. Well, Jay, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Up Level Dairy Podcast. We're always so grateful to have you every month sharing your insights from family business advising to being a fractional CFO and all of the work that you're doing for Bridgeforth LLP, which helps our dairy farmers to be able to continue to access capital, grow their businesses, stay cohesive as a family, and move forward with that goal of moving their business forward and staying family at the same time. You can find Jay's contact information and also learn more about Bridgeforth LLP in our show notes. And you'll also, if you would check out upleveldairy.com, you'll be able to find my blog where I'll be recapping some of Jay's key points because there were a lot of good nuggets in this conversation that we can all take away to be able to continue to grow our businesses and keep moving forward in 2023. Thanks, Jay. Thank you, Thank you for listening to the Up Level Dairy Podcast. I'm your host, Peggy Coffeen. And if you like what you heard today, go ahead and head on over to upleveldairy.com to read the blog and join the Up Level Dairy email list so you can receive new podcasts, blogs, and special offers coming soon from Up Level Dairy straight in your inbox. To listen to more episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, and don't forget to rate and review. Connect with me, Peggy, at Peggy at UpLevelDairy.com and follow Up Level Dairy on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Mm-hmm.